Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. soundtrack to a life i am chris because that is who hosts this show wow i am into my third year of doing this and my introductions have not improved with me this week is dan dan tell everybody at home about yourself hi i'm dan i'm a writer of some local renown and I'm not as in-depth knowledgeable about music but i really liked one album and i talked Munzee into listening to it and now i'm here that is correct. And Dan and I are here this week talking about Tom Waits' 1999 album, Mule Variations. What was up with the late 90s and alternative nation adopting cool older dudes as their own? Johnny Cash, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan. These were not 90s artists by any stretch of the imagination. They were not born of the decade, did not share its aesthetic. They existed outside of its currents. But they weren't really of their own decades either. They cut strange, singular figures that never quite fit in with what was going on around them. And that's part of what made them, made their work, so fascinating. And the quality Alternative Nation at its best, valued more than any other at the end of the day, was the willingness to do something weird, without consideration of trends or fashion. So in a way, I suppose, it was no surprise that artists like these, who'd spent decades ignoring the stream in which they swam in order to focus on the art they wanted to make, would appeal to a generation desperate to believe that they too could cut a similar singular silhouette. And then there was Tom Waits. Tom Waits didn't really fit into the 90s, but he also didn't fit in in 1973 when he released his debut, Closing Time. He'd never fit in. The notion is ridiculous. He's a willfully perverse performer. It's basically his whole deal. He'd seen his way through the mid-70s adult contemporary period, through disco and punk, through the 80s, and is still out there today, doing stuff. What kind of stuff? Where the hell kind of stuff he wants? How dare you question him? Mule Variation was one of only two records Tom Waits put out during the 90s, because during this period he also wrote music for a play, The Black Rider, and appeared in a total of eight films, frequently in small, uncredited parts because he is the sort of man who follows his muse to wherever it takes him. But the two records he did put out, Mule Variations and Bone Machine, are as close to unimpeachable as the decade's output can be. I had a hard time choosing which to make you listen to, but in the end it came down to a simple matter of which I find myself revisiting most often, and Mule Variations on that level has the edge. It's rich and weird and textured, like nothing else in music, and yet weirdly comforting. Not for everyone, not trying to be but for those to whom it appeals, an enormous source of comfort and respite. Not everyone is going to enjoy the music of Tom Waits by design, but the people who do are going to love it, deeply and dearly. And for that reason, everyone should listen to a Tom Waits album, at least the once. And they ought to do it soon. After all, as it's been famously said, Tom Waits for no man. So Dan, you'd never heard Mule Variations by Tom Waits, and now you have. Tell me, what do you think? Well, first of all, can I just say that I'm a little surprised from your description that Tom Waits also has a closing time? 
like there is enough aesthetic similarity between Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen as it is that I don't need both of them to have a closing time, even if they release them decades apart from each other. Yeah, there's a lot going on similar between the two of them, vocally and lyrically. They're both very, you have to deep dive to figure out what these songs are about type artists. I spent a lot of the 90s thinking of Tom Waits as uh, Renfield from Bram Stoker's Dracula. He definitely was. That was my first exposure to him, and my brother, who was much more of a music nerd than I was, because he did not retreat into mixtapes for the late 80s and early 90s to escape the crushing musical upbringing that I had. It was a long rehabilitation for my parents' early tastes. So he would just yell at me, no, Tom Waits is a singer. He's like a big deal singer. Well, He's not just Renfield from Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm like, are you sure? He's sort of a singer. He is of a type of singer. This is why I compare him to Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen has clearly been smoking and drinking large amounts of whiskey his entire life. So by the time he recorded his closing time, his voice was 10 miles of gravel road. Whereas Tom Waits has a very Tom Waitsy voice, which is not melodic, but is definitely compelling. Yeah, you definitely lock into something while he's singing. And this is a great record for that. Like, Big in Japan opens the record with distorted clanking noises like an old-timey prospector banging pots together. And that's really everything that you need to know about Tom Waits. Yes. And Big in Japan, listening to the full album, Big in Japan felt to me like the Tom Waits equivalent of the big breakout pop hit. Like how Peter Gabriel would put out an entire album of soulful ballads and then also Sledgehammer, so that you would buy the album thinking that they would all be Sledgehammer, but they're not. No, they're not. They're very personal. And a lot of this is. Uh... Big in Japan feels like the, the Tom Waits Sledgehammer. It's not going to be the actual breakout pop hit in a way people understand. It's sort of like how the director of Donnie Darko made that weird L.A. Southland, whatever it was called. Yeah! And he thought this was going to be his big commercial hit, and Kevin Smith read the script and was oh, dude, no. This is not a big commercial hit at all. It might be that you're not the kind of performer who gets big commercial hits. And, I mean, correctly, 50 years in the music industry, and he has yet to. Although Rod Stewart had a massive international hit on the back of a cover of Downtown Train. If you were ever wondering whether there was justice intrinsic to the universe, no. Not one atom except that which we impose upon the universe. Yeah. And then we forget to, and Rod Stewart has a career. Do you know, but in fairness, I'm reasonably certain that my mom wanted to fuck Rod Stewart. A so lot that's of moms the, did. That's the Rod Stewart demo. Side note on Rod Stewart, when I was in late elementary through to early high school, I asked to go to a lot of concerts because concerts seemed neat. And. I asked my mom if I could go see Rod Stewart live in concert because he had one hit that summer that I had heard a few times and thought was okay. And she just stared at me and said, you don't want to see Rod Stewart live in concert. I was like, I think I do. And she's like, you really don't. And I eventually accepted that she was absolutely correct about that. Yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, you likely were. I appreciate on this record how effortlessly, and just in general, how effortlessly Tom Waits shifts between like gin-soaked piano ballads, like Downtown Train or Hold On on this one, and then the weird chanting, clanking songs like Chocolate Jesus or Get Behind the Mule, and how he feels equally natural and comfortable doing both. Yeah, he has a very Tom Waitsy voice, yep. but being Tom Waits, he knows how to write songs for a Tom Waitsy voice, but it is 
versatile in its style. There was a lot of difference between like a house where nobody lives and a big in Japan. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And they both work. Like I'll be talking a lot about how Tom Waits doesn't have like a singer's voice, but that doesn't mean it's bad. No, it's perfect for this. Yes. And he's figured out who he is and what he's doing. By the time this came out, he was already 26 years into it. Yes. Like I said, Tom Waits knows how to write for a Tom Waits. That's correct. Realizing uh, while re-listening to this, is Tom Waits a steampunk band? You know, the amount of clanging makes me think he might be a little bit a steampunk band. Yeah, like, he predates the literary genre by about a decade, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Lots of things predate the popular iteration thereof. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, when I think about musically steampunk, like your Abney Parks or Unextraordinary Gentlemen's, their really big gigs are at Comic-Con type situations. Yeah. I could not imagine Tom Waits playing at a Comic-Con. That does not seem like it would go great. Although I would get him to autograph, I don't know, Mystery Men? He was in Mystery Men, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He does some weird stuff. I forget who he was in Mystery Men. I assume he worked for Casanova Frankenstein. Almost certainly. They got some weird people to show up for walk-ons on that movie. For Michael Bay's acting debut. Yikes. Where he played a frat bro douchebag in charge of a gang of frat bro douchebags. No, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. He's the king of frat bro douchebags. And by he, I mean his character in Mystery Men. I'm not impugning any living human, obviously. Don't email us about Michael Bay. Two people email people about Michael Bay. I feel like there's no passion to their fandom. One of my favorite New Musical Express reviews, I don't know if it was for this or one of his later ones, New Musical Express reviewed one of his records with, The New Tom Waits is a collection of gin-soaked balladry and off-kilter proto-industrial chants. Or maybe it's not. I haven't heard it. If it's not, someone write in and let me know. I'd happily listen to the Tom Waits disco album. Three stars. <laughs> That's a quality review. It's a good review. And usually I don't like for reviews to be dismissive, but honestly, the majority of people know in their heart whether they're going to pick up the new Tom Waits already. I don't know if it's helpful. There are certain artists like that. This is the same magazine who reviewed a Def Leppard record with, look, it's Def Leppard, and they brought some rock for us. That's nice. Three stars. If you want a Def Leppard record, you're going to buy the Def Leppard record. If you want some Tom Waits, there is more of it now. It's like how a website that was recapping all the upcoming season premieres and what would be happening on all the nerd favorite shows just said of Supernatural, this show is still on. What more was there to say in season 14 of Supernatural? Oh, man, I'm surprised that they canceled it. Well, they are gonna get tired eventually. Sure, but we're all tired of jobs. It is steady work and a show that is inexpensive to make. What would definitely be a better narrative is just two hours of what's he building. Oh, god damn, I would watch that. What just, is he building in there? What is he building in there? Just, just give me that. I will watch an entire concert of Tom Wade sitting on a stool, smoking a cigarette, staring at a shed at the corner of the stage, talking at length about this guy's bizarre life and collapsing career and love life, and then just punctuating with, what's he building in there? Well, all the clanks of construction form his rhythm section. I truly believe in my heart that if you wrote to Tom Waits, there is a small but non-zero chance that this story ends with Tom Waits performing in a fringe show for you. He's taken on some weird shit. He has. Like, this is an artist who follows. So if you find someone, someone to love, someone to hold, don't trade it for silver, don't trade it for gold. I have all of life's treasures, and they're fine and they're good. 
They remind me that houses are just made of wood. What makes a house grand if it ain't the roof or the doors? If there's love in the house, it's a palace for sure. Without love, it ain't nothing but a house, a house where nobody lives. And that's a beautiful verse and also beautiful life advice. And then it's followed up with, I woke up this morning with a koala. Yep. Bit of a left turn. <laughs> yeah, he does, he does not need for us to follow him to everything. And it's great music because you can sing any Tom Waits song whilst drunk. It is good for that. But what song you choose depends on what kind of drunk you are. Yeah, there's a lot of different types of drunk you could be in there. Stubborn drunk is a good one for Get Behind the Mule. Absolutely. They've got the weepy ballads for if you're, I'm going through some shit right now, man, drunk. Yep. And a number of boozy bar sing-alongs. I've never actually sung them at karaoke, but I definitely withhold the right to. He feels like he's going to be a difficult artist to find in a lot of karaoke lineups. That's when you put in the Rod Stewart version of Downtown Train. And he just well, I'll it see up. you tonight on a downtown train. All of a sudden, remember, I have heard the Tom Waits version of that song. That's a good song. I mean, like, nobody's ever accused Rod Stewart of working with bad songwriters. He's accused him of being kind of Rod Stewarty. He's aggressively Rod Stewarty. And I definitely think what's he building in there is a show. One man show? Or do we eventually meet he who's building something in there? I don't know that I ever want to see he who's building something. I just want to hear about him from the guy who's obsessively watching his shed, trying to figure out what he's building in there. Mm. Yeah, because that could have gone on forever, and I would have been happy to have the whole record just be that. Like Some answers are never going to be as good as the process of questioning. That is very true. And between what's he building in there and fitter, happier, more productive off OK Computer... 1999 was a big year for weird spoken word intervals in the middle of albums. I feel like that spoken word thing about sunscreen came out around the same time. That feels approximately correct. I'm not going to look it up because I don't do research, but it feels like it was about that time, yes. Definitely Anno Domini, the weird spoken word one about summing up either the entire century or the entire millennium. I forget which. It stopped being 1999, and that song was no longer popular. That's correct. And we have since forgotten about it until literally just now. Yeah. It's weird when songs do that. When they're just everywhere and then leave zero footprint. Somebody ran down the biggest hits of ten years ago. And one of them was Call Me Mr. Flintstone, I Can Make Your Bedrock. What? <laughs> Did you not hear that? No. It was very bad. And everywhere. And gone. Look, I was just reminded recently of the existence of the song Honky Tonk Badonka Donk, and I still do not believe the song you just said is real. Well, we're going to put it in the show notes, and also I'm going to send it to you privately. Oh, dear. Because that dude was called Mr. Flintstone. He did make someone's bedrock, presumably. And Drake was there for some reason. Well, of course he was. Why wouldn't Drake be there? Hey, Drake's famous. Also, if you're going to make it, you have to get into that weird loop where everybody does each other's hooks. Yeah, I like it. I think it builds a sense of community within the genre. I didn't know there was a full-on a thing where doing your own hook was considered a sign of weakness as an artist. Yeah, because you couldn't get anyone good to do it. I just wonder about the practicalities of how do you tour this album. That feels difficult. But I have not been to enough mainstream rap shows. Me neither. I've s- never witnessed one of these. I have not been to a rap concert since MC Hammer, Ooh. and I'm glad no one I know has ever witnessed that. It was not dignified. How was McHammer? McHammer was quite good. 
I was a adolescent white boy yeah. trying to figure out how one acts cool at a rap concert. I will just say, I was not close. Nope. But I will just speculate, you were not alone. There may have been some others, but I find it hard to picture more embarrassing than me. Oh, dear. Anywho, Tom waits. Yes, hear me out. He's a jazz singer who finds out that he has less than a year to live. She's a hard-boiled, by-the-book police detective. They solve mysteries. It's a They Solves Mysteries show. We do Case of the Week, and then we eventually flesh out the universe around them. Look, there's potential there, because I have watched the crime procedural where one character's thing is he definitely has a brain tumor but will not acknowledge or treat it because the second he confirms that he has a brain tumor, then he's going to die of having a brain tumor. Oh, that seems bad. Um, and yeah, Black Market Baby would be the theme song, but not performed by Tom Waits. We'd get a different artist to cover it every season. Brain Tumor Cop's partner was 43, and his father and grandfather had both died at 43, so he was incredibly paranoid that he was not going to make it to 44. Wait, the one without the brain tumor was that? Yeah. That is not a good show. <laughs> it actually was a very good show. These were the, like, second-tier characters on this show, and it didn't feel like their plot lines had a lot of legs. <laughs> like, if they'd made it to a second season, I feel they would have had to, like, write those two out or come up with new things. Who were the first-tier characters? Uh, Jeremy Renner was a former baseball player who became a cop and also owned a diner. <laughs> Amber Tamblin was a uh, billionaire's daughter who decided to become a cop but didn't want the rest of the precinct to know that she was absurdly wealthy. This sounds very fake. Are you hearing yourself right now? This, this is all very real. It was called <laughs> The Unusuals. It aired for 13 episodes on ABC. They, they canceled it, and I was mad. <laughs> Goddamn police procedurals. Perhaps we don't need more police procedurals if we're down to former professional baseball player and secret millionaire backed by a man with brain tumor and person terrified of his own mortality. That's a show. There's a show. Uh, also, one of them had a mustache and was a loser. Was it Jeremy Renner? No, oh. he didn't have a mustache. Jeremy Renner, though. I miss his app. All the Jeremy Renner news that you might want. And also significantly more Jeremy Renner news. And a lot of trolls pretending to be Jeremy Renner. Well... Or whatever it is the trolls were doing in the Jeremy Renner app that made him turn it off. I think they were pretending to be Jeremy Renner. That seems like what you do on a Jeremy Renner app. Because you're never going to find an audience more willing to accept the person you're talking to as Jeremy Renner. Yeah, this is only for that. Tom Waits did not appear on The Unusuals, but he could have and it would have fit. Yeah, he would have, he would have done just fine there. Uh, he does so many things, only some of which are music, and yet most of what I interact with him on is music. Yule Variations led to his first tour since 1987, and then it, that culminated with a solo performance on VH1 Storytellers, which now that I know it exists, I'm going to have to YouTube that, because dude can spin a yarn. This seems probably true. We don't even know what he was building in there, and I remain fascinated by it. So if he actually has a story with a conclusion. Yeah, he, um, what was it? On one of his live records, as between song banter, he goes to the crowd. One thing a lot of people ask me, is it possible for a woman to become pregnant without intercourse? And I always tell them the same thing. The answer to that question, we're going to have to go all the way back to the Civil War. You see, a loose musket ball pierced the testicle of a Confederate soldier, flew sure. through the air, 
and lodged itself in the uterus of a young Union woman, standing 300 feet away from him. Naturally. She gave birth nine months later. She was happy, guilt-free. He was a little pissed off. Some Yankee shot him in the testicle. But then I thought, this, in its way, is a kind of intercourse. Though not one that is for everyone. Here's the next song! What are you doing? <laughs> there is so much to unpack in all of that. Beginning with how many people are asking Tom Waits if a woman can become pregnant without intercourse. Like, that feels like something I should be disputing, but it makes as much sense as anything else Tom Waits. So I'm just, I'm accepting that this is a thing that happens to him. Yeah, he could have made that story entirely up. This could be a fun Civil War story that he heard reading a book about the Civil War. It could be 100% or 0% true. And each of those things seems equally likely to me. Yeah, any one of those makes as much sense as any other one. Yeah, which makes him a fascinating pop star adjacent type pop culture figure. Yeah, you'd never call him a legit pop star. Maybe jazzy folk icon? Yeah, I'd go icon. And by this point, he was at the very least hitting it hard with the audiences that he got. Yes. Mule Variation went to... Number 12 in Canada on the album's chart. Number one in Germany, number two in Australia. It went gold. It sold half a million copies worldwide. Critics ate this shit up because this is the kind of shit that critics eat up. Yes. Pitchfork gave it a nine and a half out of ten and said sonically it picks up where Bone Machine left off but drops some of that album's artifice. The clanky, trebly, back out of the shed sound is still here. Uh, it won the Grammy for Best Contemporary Folk Album which I wouldn't have put it in folk. But where would you put it is the issue. Yeah. It's like you don't know where to put it. Yeah, like you're sitting down with this going, I do think that it deserves a Grammy. Which category should it be in? R&B? No. Rap? No. Country? Almost, but no. <sighs> folk. I don't think you can go a country singer if you don't have at least one fiddle. And he doesn't have a lot of fiddle. He does not have a great deal of fiddle. There's some amount of accordion, but that's a completely different vibe. And then in 2012, it was ranked 416 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Because, yeah, it is. It's made for that purpose. Critics are meant to love this sort of music. It is weird and singular. And when you are a critic, your job is to review 14 pop albums. So when you get to listen to something stranger and with some depth to it, such a salve, yeah. that you immediately handed a high ranking. Yeah. I like pop albums too, but that's because I don't have to listen to all of them. I listen to the three in a year that actually appeal to me, rather than treating it like it's my job. Makes it much easier. Yeah. And the standards of quality for late period Tom Waits especially, but really throughout his career, are the standards of a dude who can put six years between records because he's in a bunch of uh, Jim Jarmusch films and got busy. Um, I haven't seen all of his films. I haven't explored them a lot. I liked his conversation with Iggy Pop and Coffee and Cigarettes, though. That sounds like it would be an entertaining conversation, yes. Yeah, he's got dual-track careers as, I guess, a contemporary folk artist. If we must slap a Grammy-approved label onto him. Yeah, and, uh, hey, it's that one guy, actor. I thought he was in the first season of Legion. I was very disappointed to find out that that was a Vancouver-based actor with a Tom Waitsy look to him. Oh, 
I gotta go rewatch the first season of Legion now. Dude with the one eye looks very looked very Tom Waitsy to me in his first appearance. Yeah, that actually checks out. And Legion also felt like a show where that would not be out of place, but no. I wonder why. It's weird. That's a weird question to ask. Why wasn't that Tom Waits? <laughs> why wasn't this specific actor <laughs> in this specific minor role on a TV show? <laughs> but I do get a, if the show is weird and good, he will do anything vibe often. Yeah. One-eyed mutant who never talks didn't feel out of place. Absolutely. That seems like a great entry into his canon. Like, I'd have questioned the hell out of if it were Channing Tatum, but... I mean, Channing does some weird shit, too. He does. Not to anywhere near the same degree. He still has a sort of a type. Impossibly jacked. Yes, he's going to play a large, handsome man. Yeah. Although, I guess, old-timey prospector is also kind of a type. It is. It's harder to translate to any genre, but you can get there if you work at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what project doesn't benefit from that quality of old-timey prospector energy? Spice World. No, I, I said it and then I immediately regretted it because I feel like you could have worked out a bit with the Spice Girls and an old-timey prospector who was Tom Waits, and it would have killed. Yeah, that would have been very amusing. Wouldn't have saved Spice World. Nothing was going to save Spice World. Spice World was going to be Spice World no matter what you did. That is the joy of Spice World, but also its curse. Yeah, it was never going to be This is Spinal Tap. Or Monty Python and the fill-in your favorite Monty Python movie. This is with Spice World. Yeah. It's going to be a better version of Help. True. Soundtrack to a life. Come for the talking about a 20-year-old album. Stay for the pointless Beatles bashing. Um... Well, the Beatles movies are garbage. They have less story somehow than a Terrence Malick movie. Ooh. Which is a weird flex to pull, metaphorically, comparison speaking. But I've been trying not to say Tom Waits is like the Terrence Malick of music for so long because <laughs> I never compare somebody to Terrence Malick flatteringly because I watched Tree of Life and one day I'll have my revenge. Ooh, that was not a good movie. It wasn't. So then how is Tom Waits the Terrence Malick of movie? Let's unpack that. Uh, he does not do a frequent release. He waits until he has something he wants to do. He does not easily fit into any standard genre. He has his own style that people either love a lot or immediately alienated by. I do appreciate that approach to being a famous person. Do every weird project that catches your fancy, release music on your own schedule, and don't worry about alienating people. And it's possible, I don't think he has, but it's possible he could have put out five albums in the last six years that nobody heard about. He's put out, uh, I think he has put out something semi-recently, but semi-recently for him is seven or eight years. Whereas Malik went from one film a decade to he put out a film a year for like four years and they starred A-list talent and nobody knew about them. Huh. What an interesting use of A-list talent. Like, yeah, we'll come be in your movie. What am I doing? Walk that way and twirl a lot. Yeah, but what am I? Just walk that way and twirl a lot. That's all you have to do in this scene. That is a paraphrasing of an actual set story from Olga Kurlyenko. Oh, that is... Not an ideal work-type situation for a performer, but I do appreciate, philosophically, the refusal to give people information about what they need to do. It's at the very least a really fun power move to pull. And yeah, Tom Waits could put out a record tomorrow. He could put out a record in nine years. And there's no real way to know which it's going to be. Yeah. 
this may be the last that we've ever heard of him. Or maybe there'll be a, such a vault of unreleased material that he'll keep going for 10 years after. That would be great. Or there's a vault of unused material that will remain sealed away like prints. Ooh, no, they're gradually releasing the Prince stuff. Are they? Yeah, they'll occasionally do like a four-hour version of a Prince record. They put out the Versace experience recently. Okay. I listened to the longest possible Purple Rain when it came out. It was kind of too long. Yeah, because somebody said, that's too much Purple Rain, Prince. And he said, oh, I guess. <laughs> that is probably the case. And I was really angry at some of the radio edits. They shouldn't have included them. I don't need to hear three minutes of Purple Rain. I need to hear eight minutes of Purple Rain, most of which is guitar solos. That's why it was included on the album with guitar solos. Yes. Whereas Party Man really lost track of where it was going, if you listen to the extended version. I mean, yeah. But that's Prince writing songs about Batman. You don't expect his best work. I mean, no. At the time, you got his worst work. Attention, Matt Reeves. Please hire Tom Waits to write the entire soundtrack of The Batman. Oh, god damn, yes. Why isn't Tom... Okay, this wouldn't have been enough to get me to watch it, but why the fuck wasn't there more Tom Waits on the soundtrack to that Joker movie? I don't have an answer to that. I mean, it feels like it might have fit in. Yeah, you're doing a downbeat 70s-style character study with a sad ending. Maybe he felt... Threatened, like he didn't want to put any songs in the soundtrack that had more depth, meaning, and narrative than the actual plot of the Joker movie, which is why he went with Rock and Roll Part 2, whose lyric is, Hey. And also, Hey, Rock and Roll. I think that's only Part 1. Oh, no. <laughs> they didn't even use the version with four different words? No, they just went to Part 2. Where they're still just doing that riff over and over and sometimes going, hey. Mmm, Gary Glitter. So much to answer for. Now, including the Death Bells, the Rise of the Joker, oh. the greatest scene in cinema history, or however the meme goes. I don't care. Yeah. People got invested in that movie. Yeah. Which brings us back to Rod Stewart has had a much more robust career. Sometimes people are dumb about art. But even with the same song, Downtown Train hit number 10 in the UK, number 3 in the US, and is still all over adult contemporary radio. It is. Playing to the sorts of people who like Rod Stewart, an artist who is the same age and has the same length of career as Tom Waits. Who might technically have a better voice, but a less interesting one. I mean, Rod Stewart's got a weird voice too, actually. Well, he comes from a generation of British singers that didn't need to have, like, a glamorous singing voice. That's true. I miss that. I'm going to sound old for a minute. I miss that in the era of singing competition voices. I appreciate that singing competitions are a good way to determine who is good at singing, but we're not getting as much weird shit. The weird shit was really the good part. Yeah, sometimes. I'm hoping that will change. The biggest hit of the past year has been a rap song by a high school-aged black gay cowboy and the achy-breaky heart guy. Yeah, no one saw that coming. And Billie Eilish is allowed to be a pop star. So that, I feel like, bodes well in a world of singing competitions. That the two biggest very young stars are that's openly strange. Let's just get weird with music now. Yeah, absolutely. There's a 
high school goth girl doing trip-hop songs. Also, she is still going to bring in Justin Bieber because she did have a crush on him. <laughs> Perfect. Good use of fame. Uh, I could definitely stand some kind of freak viral trend to give Tom Waits some manner of massive mainstream pop hit in his 70s. I have seen him do a lot of things. I've seen him do movies. I've seen him do songs. I've seen him do tours. I have never seen him enjoy big mainstream fame. That would be neat. Yeah, just to watch him fuck with the entire system that had produced him. Maybe he could sing the plot of the third Ant-Man movie under the credits. I don't hate that. First of all, because people should wrap the plots of movies over the credits yeah. more often. Why are you putting Will Smith in the Suicide Squad if he's not going to wrap the plot under the credits? Yeah. No, you played 21 Pilots. That no. says everything no, right no. there. 21 Pilots are fine. They're not for this. We don't need that energy at the end of this movie. We need Will Smith wrapping the plot of Suicide Squad and a chorus that's been bicked from a Stevie Wonder record. Would it have been less appropriate for him to wrap the plot about that biopic he made about the guy who discovered that football players have horrible concussions? Yes. Yes. Did I want him to do it anyway? Perhaps, Definitely. Perhaps a little. In the accent? Little bit. Oh, that would be a questionable choice. We were playing, they were playing the police at work, and it suddenly struck me, hey, would this music have aged better if Sting hadn't tried to do the accent? Don't have an answer to that. Because I like the police. They're a good band. He's kind of reaching for a Jamaican on some of the songs. That's not ideal, no. At the same time, he is in a reggae band. I don't know how I feel about any of this. It's a tough call. I'm very aware that 80s pop stars have done a thousand worse things than this. And that it truly, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. But still, yeah, wonder. There's a bit of, don't do the voice. <laughs> don't, don't, do that. don't do that. It's not going to age as well as you think. Not going to age as badly as Adam Ant, dressed as a First Nations person. No, I imagine it would not. But in Adam Ant's defense, he stopped doing that after the one tour. Also, that was in the 80s, not in the 2010s. Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah. Johnny Depp keeps on doing stuff. Is Tom Waits in the Lone Ranger movie? I don't believe so. What? That's literally an old-timey western! He would have been more suited for Lone Ranger if they had kept the supernatural aspect where he had silver bullets because him and Tonto hunted werewolves. And there were clearly vestigial hints of that original story in the movie because they wanted the villain to have supernatural powers, but they had written all of that out. So now it's just, we're Lone Rangering. And it's boring, and it's bad. And then there's a very well done 20 minute train fight, but you're already two hours into this movie and it's too late to win me back over. You Ranger. also described the Wolverine just there. Yep. <laughs> Tom Waits is also not in the Wolverine. And it's boring and it's bad. And there's an extended, excellent looking train fight in the middle there. Less Helena Bottom Carter, but I know this was like prime Helena Bottom Carter weirdness. Is there a bad time to be Helena Bottom Carter though? Probably, but none of them leap to mind. That checks out. Well, you missed your opportunity, Hollywood. You didn't put Tom Waits in your Lone Ranger movie, and then your Lone Ranger movie failed. Did one cause the other? I'm implying it. Which I guess brings us pretty close to the end. Yep. <laughs> we have blamed the failure of a major blockbuster and lack of Tom Waits. 
I read an interesting thing about uh, how the Lone Ranger movie didn't fail. What's their math on that? Made $80 million. That's how much a cowboy movie makes. It's not the movie's fault that you spent so much goddamn money promoting it. I have heard this it was, argument. It was tent- never going to be a billion-dollar tentpole. It's the lone goddamn ranger. You should have indied it out for $20 million, have it make the same 80 that it would have. I have heard this argument on other films. Like, yeah, Godzilla made as much money as Godzilla movies can make. Yeah, that's the amount of Godzilla that we want. It was good. Giant monster trashed a city. Not everything has to be big. Sometimes you can be small. Hollywood, also pop music, tied it back to Tom Waits. I'm excellent at podcasting. This has been the soundtrack to a life. We've been talking about (laughs) Seven Psychopaths co-star Tom Waits. Perfect. I had forgotten that he was in that. God damn, his movies are so weird. I'm going to go check him. Maybe I'll just watch Tom Waits' movies for seven hours after this. I'm going to close out the episode asking you three questions, because I close out the episode with three questions. Y'all ever going to listen to Mule Variations again? Oh, almost certainly. Uh, you want to explore more of Tom Waits' catalog? I think I might. Solid. If you're looking for a second one, my personal taste run from the 90s onwards, like anything from Bone Machine on, but his earlier material is also great. It's just a matter of personal taste, and there are no bad choices. Just pick one at random. Or go with Big Time or Glitter and Doom, because his live records are so fucking weird. And they really present him well as a character singer who is bringing a sense of charisma rather than a technical singing voice in a way that I really enjoy. See, I thought I had my new favorite interjection by the artist in the middle of a concert story, but that whole Civil War thing just... That was very good. That was from Big Time, I think. And it had nothing to do with anything. Bring it out of context and do it. That is the Tom Waits ethos, and it has worked for him. Yep. If you had to pick one song to end the episode, what would you pick? What's he building in there? Yeah, we're closing out on what's he building in there. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, review us. Five-star reviews, you know the deal. So helpful for podcasts. Also tweet him your thoughts about Michael Bay. You should tweet me all of your thoughts about Michael Bay at SoundtrackCast or about any weird Tom Waits memories that you have. If you've ever met the man, I bet he was doing something strange. Dan, do you want to plug anything? Uh, I write about life and travel and nerd stuff at TalesFromPartsUnknown.com. You can find my entire web series at WritersCircleTheSeries.com or on the finest YouTubes. That's a lie. We are on the basic-ass YouTubes. Oh, yeah, they have a finer YouTube now. I uh, forgot that when I ended the bit. But, no, we're on the standard YouTube that you don't have to pay for because that was the deal, YouTube. That's a very good YouTube. I would suggest that the free one is better. It is, when you get down to it. This has been the soundtrack to a life. We are going to be back in two weeks to talk about a different thing. Talk to you then. I heard he was up on the roof last night, signaling with a flashlight. And what's that tune he's always whistling? What's he building in there? What's he building in there? We have a right to know.